1: Welcome to episode 34 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And this week, Jackie and I interviewed Tekla Back, who Jackie got to meet through a women's networking meeting. Some, t- How long ago was that, Jackie? So this was, um, so Tekla was actually, it was actually Tekla's
0: friend. And she, we were in Toronto in 2019, so it'd be, August two thousand and nineteen, and I must have been saying how we were launching the podcast, and she said,
1: "Let me know when you've done it because I've got a friend who does keto." Jackie, did you tell someone that you were in the keto club?
0: I know, I do.
1: <laughs> I know, I know that it's hard to to not tell people that you're in the keto club, but you have to know that the first rule of keto club is not to tell people that you're in the keto club. Yeah, the dilemma is Lou is how do you let people know that you've got
0: a keto podcast if you don't tell people
1: about keto? Well, that is a dilemma, but you know, thankfully we we do have our social media platform, so we are telling people that we are in the <laughs> keto club. So yeah, I suppose that, that that horse is long bolted. But it was lovely that the the lady that was at the networking club um or function in Toronto you know, way back before you'd launched or you were launching the um the podcast, um, was able to introduce you to Tecla. So that was that was really a great connection. Yeah. So, Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Tecla?
0: Tecla is a nutrition nerd hungry for positive change. She is building Keho, a real food, savoury snack business that is keto and vegan to make positive change easy. She's been featured in Forbes In Food Hacks That Don't Compromise Nutrition, plus Kehoe has been selected as editor's favourite weekly plant-based snacks by The Beat, called by Rachel Ray, standout savoury snacks you need in your pantry, and scored the highest in the Trend Hunters' review of savoury snacks. Tekla has a 20-year career in food and beverage, starting in grocery stores as a consultant with McKinsey & Co., followed by senior executive roles at PepsiCo, America's largest food and beverage company, and the second largest in the world. Much of her work at PepsiCo focused on making the products better for you, or good for you. She is an ex-champion calorie counter who got passionate about nutrition and weight loss, coxing varsity and national-level lightweight crews. She thought she knew it all until she was introduced to keto, by fellow physicist, who whose facts checked out, she got obsessed. However, as a non-cooking, non-meat eater, she found it hard. So she created Kiho to make plant-powered, and keto-eating easy. Shh, she's on a secret mission to obliterate obesity by spicing up life. Tekla has a doctorate in physics from Oxford and an AAS in fashion design from FIT. She's originally from Finland, grew up in the UK, and has made New York her home. Welcome, Tekla, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you, Jackie and Louise.
0: We always ask our guests if our first question is, where in the world are you?
2: Today, this morning, finds me sitting in Miami, fabulous view over south beach um not my normal view i actually live in new york where it's very chilly right now so i just escaped here for a week's vacation
0: oh lovely it'd be nice to be somewhere warm mind you louise
1: is always in the warm <laughs>
2: oh <good> yeah <laughs> so,
1: what's the temperature there like at the moment in miami
2: uh, uh we're going to have a translation problem at this point. So I actually grew up in Finland. So I'm one of these people who still talks in Celsius, and I have a feeling that both of you are going to be in Fahrenheit. So I'm in the 20s kind of numbers right now, um, which I'm guessing is like 60s or 80s or something. But after 20, almost 20 years in the States, I still can't get into the Fahrenheit metrics. But yes, it's warm, most importantly.
0: Yeah, we use centigrade, so I understand 20s. I don't understand 60s or 70s. It's
2: I've gotten most metrics down. Somehow that one still eludes me, and it might be because where I come from, the numbers are all in their negative 20s, and it's like a whole different part of the spectrum, so it's tougher to adjust to the different range where it's warmer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it must be really challenging to go from a metric system to an imperial system because you had to go from kilometers to miles to, you know, to centigrade to Fahrenheit to millimeters to, um, to inches. It seems to be quite a, quite a challenge over the last 20 years.
2: It certainly is. It's getting better now. Thank you. European Union making the UK metric system easier, at least. Of course, (laughs) that's no longer true either. What's going to happen on that with Brexit? I don't know.
0: I think we'll stay metric. I would imagine we'll stay metric.
2: It's always fun for, like, has anyone worked out what is a cup? I still can't get what is a cup.
0: Cause it changes for everything, doesn't it? Unless you've got a cup to measure it, everything is different. So when a recipe says a cup, I will often weigh what that is into grams and then write that down.
2: I have those little cuppy things now, but I still don't know what a cup really is. It doesn't seem to have any resemblance to any cup that I drink from.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I still, I switch, I flip backwards and forwards between inches and centimetres and feet and metres, and I, I don't do any one thing. So it just depends. Everything is in relation to something else, so. Yeah how i think of things
2: it's true i think i'm more okay with inches for some reason maybe just use it more every day or it's more tangible it's like you can feel inches because you can like touch it temperature's harder to touch somehow i wonder why why that one's harder actually anyways it's lovely most importantly
0: anyway so tell us how you got to your low-carb keto journey and one thing that we're really curious to find out that we've been asking people recently is who or what was the one thing that made you Ooh. switch, uh, change that really opened your eyes to a different way of eating and being?
2: It's a good question because it is a person or two persons actually. It's a great question. Let me, let me go a little bit further back just to give a. Bit of context where I come from, and we can go a lot deeper into that if it's helpful. But so I've been interested in nutrition for a very long time, and it probably hit its peak actually it's in the UK, which is where I grew up and I was at university. And I started coxing um, both men and women, but particularly women, um, women's lightweights. I was actually did the; I was the cox for the women's lightweights a very long time ago. So because you have a bunch of women all trying to lose weight, I got Super obsessed. And as the Cox, I think I was extra obsessed. So it dates all the way back to those days. And of course, like many others, I became a huge calorie counter. And that's kind of was maybe the genesis of nutrition and performance. I then, after finishing my uh, doctorate and I was studying physics, which is relevant to this story, I actually ended up working in grocery retail for a consultancy for about 10 years. So, kind of on the food side, more from the commercial side and then I ended up at PepsiCo where I spent seven years and so most of my career has actually been in food and I always have been one of these everything in moderation it's about discipline as a relatively disciplined person and then it's a whole other story but I um, ended up quitting PepsiCo to try and live a life of meaning and try and create something different for myself and during my travels my own version of Deep Pray Love I met a guy who um, is a physicist and he was keto and super fit and in great shape. And we, of course, you know, went head to head on this conversation of what is the right thing to eat. And I, being, you know, from the field and having spent a long time in it, was convinced that I was right. The thing that he did, <laughs> which really persuaded me is, as another fellow physicist, he knew how to communicate with me. So he won me over with facts. And you know, this was actually on another trip in Burning Man, of course, like my story is so cliched. I went really deep into a keto hole. After that, I like dug up every book, all of them, every scientific paper went into a hole. This is a familiar story, probably on your podcast, where I really wanted to understand the space. And then second person had a huge impact on me is one of those books was Gary Taub's book and I don't mm. know who read it and I was of course googling him trying to read everything that he had written he's another physicist and funnily enough he'd actually written his prior book on fusion where I'd written a paper years ago the guy ended up being in New York for a conference I sent him a note he responds, like, who does this? Who responds to a note from complete, you know, I do have food experience, but like someone he'd never met, we sit down for a coffee and we have this amazing conversation. And I think it was the fact that he was so passionate about changing people that he was willing to meet one-on-one with a person he'd never met and the science, like I was literally won over by the science, and to say I was reluctant is an understatement. Because I call myself a champion calorie counter. I could probably still you the still tell you the calorific content of every single food. Um, so it was a it was a slow, fact based journey for me.
0: So, does your first person? Can you share his name?
2: Dylan Dane. Thank you, Dylan. He now runs an exercise startup that everyone should join up. D a y n e d-a-n-e d-a-n-e amazing person a y combinator startup person so he had he had some good credentials incredible physicist so are you still in touch with gary yes actually i see him most often at Do you know doug reynolds low carb usa yes so i then met him again and i've attended a couple of those and he's often a frequent speaker there and then um Every time an article comes out, that catches my attention. He always gets a note of, here's what I think and love it and thank you for your work. And I actually just read his new book, um, The Case for Keto. I don't know if you've read it.
0: Not yet, no. It's on my list.
2: I always joke that The Case for Keto is an open and sharp case. Um, it's super good and I, have, I still owe him a note on that one because he's uh, pushing more of a meat-based diet and I think there's enough evidence now to suggest that there's Ways of doing it without necessarily eating meat, um, and I, his book on sugar. I think I've bought for ten people at this point because it, I think it's much easier to get people on the low carb and avoiding sugar journey than it is mm. to actually get all the way to keto. So I find it a really good um, introductory in between us book to get people hooked. Yeah, yeah.
0: Gary Tubbs was my one. He was. Yeah, I read uh, why we get fat. Yep, and what to do about it. And that's that was my switch.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that we had that in common. Yeah, he's. I also like that, as you you know, as a scientist, you tend to go back in literature because you want to understand the source. And I think he was one of the very, very first ones who managed to take scientific literature and turn it into more. Um, like consumer-friendly language and make it much more understandable. And I think he did such a good job of the synthesis. And one of my, just like, Gary, we love you kind of a thing here. But the other thing that I really really like in his new book is that he's very willing to say what we know and what we don't know. Hmm. And there's a lot of keto evangelists who maybe are a little blinded to the fact that there are alternative ways of living and being. Um, And he's very forthright about what we know and don't know. And I love that. He's he's very scientific, very rigorous, and it appeals to me.
0: (laughs) So when did you make the switch? When did you move into low-carb?
2: So I think I met Dylan, um, was it 2015 or 2016? So it's been like four or five years. Um, It probably took me six months to a year of just studying um and these days I live I'm not keto all the time I'm low carb maybe 80 to 90 percent of the time um but I will eat you know carb-based products and sugars when I'm on vacation and having fun um but yeah it's been it's been almost five years and I do avoid sugar to an extent that probably as my friends little insane so your
0: way of eating is you avoid meat completely so tell us how how do you do that?
2: So yeah I stopped eating meat actually all the way back in university so that was clearly a very pivotal time back in 1995 so I haven't eaten meat for what does that make? 25 years which is kind of incredible and at the time it started from um, humane reasons I'd as a kid from one of my very first uh, jobs and work practices, i actually worked in a lab, wanting to be a scientist in that lab, actually you'll appreciate this, um, was doing testing for mad cow disease. Do you remember these times? Yes, So, very much. And it was like putting swabs in cow's bottoms and putting them on petri dishes and see what was happening. And as a result, I got to visit a lot of abattoirs and places where they reared cows. And it just, it took another five years after that. I clearly make decisions slowly for me to give up meat entirely. And it was aided by the fact that someone else wasn't eating, eating meat. So again, it just gave me that you know, human example. And I've never gone back. Um, so at that said, I do eat seafood and pescatarian. I try to be really good about the source of that seafood, uh, like for example, wild caught, so it's not farmed. I try to buy a lot of the fatty ones, like fortunately, Maybe this is the finish in me, but I love things like mackerel, which are like really fatty fishes. So I eat seafood personally. And then I actually also eat dairy, um, which I know can be a little questionable in the keto community. Um, and I eat eggs. So I guess I'm a lacto-ovo pescatarian. And I try really hard to ensure that those are always from sustainable good sources. And that's my personal set sort of choices as well. Mm,
0: right. Great.
2: And I think maybe more and more adding in more vegan alternatives, but I haven't, I haven't gone fully vegan, at least not yet. So what really brought you
1: to, obviously, the low-carbon keto was more about your sports performance. Was that or looking for a health outcome as opposed to perhaps reversing type 2 diabetes?
2: You ask a really good question because I actually left out a part of the journey which is during this time uh, of my personal e-pray love, which I probably call keto meditation, like play, maybe not love. Um, The other thing I was doing is I was applying for jobs. I was trying to work out what to do with my life next. And I was applying for lots of fancy big corporate jobs again. And every time I got close, something in me just made me pause about whether I really wanted to do that thing, having quit in the first place. So, (laughs) I actually downloaded the World Health Organization, which I know that you're also looking at working with, or working with, I downloaded their database of the causes of death by country. And I was trying to work out how to live a really impactful life. And I did a whole bunch of analysis, the punchline of which is that uh, obesity is like the third biggest killer that is human made. And you know, by the time I'd actually done all this work, I of course found this fantastic article from McKinsey where, you know, hand up, I actually do some work for them. Um, they'd done all this work and the number one biggest killer of people in the world is um, smoking. Number two is armed violence. Number three is obesity. The other two are going up, obesity is going up. Uh, the other two are going down, sorry, and the other two are going up, obesity is going up. So. It felt like the one space where I had training and passion and having discovered the keto diet, it felt like the stars aligned. And that was really the genesis of trying to build a business around it. Somewhat accidentally, but that's what I wanted to try and really focus on. So, yeah, great question, actually. I have funniest spreadsheets and pages of analysis on this that I have to share at some point.
0: When we spoke previously you mentioned about working at PepsiCo and how they employ people to sell products can you are you allowed to touch on that
2: I mean I spent 7 years at PepsiCo and it's a company I admire I have a lot of friends there I I may I will forever bleed blue as we say the other system being red um and obviously they do sell products that are high in sugar and carbs because they also uh, own um, uh, Frito Lay, the snack side of the business. Um, and it's funny when I joined, I was obviously of the mind that everything in moderation. As someone who's been pretty good at moderation all their lives, all their lives, uh, it it wasn't ever an issue for me. That said, I was actually brought in as part of a huge transformation that started back in 2009 with leadership that has uh, since actually left. And I was brought in to make the portfolio healthier. So my job was a strategist and we were looking at consumer trends and trying to see where to capture growth. And not as many people are drinking colas and particularly full sugar colas today as they were. So we shifted the portfolio hugely towards non-sugar alternatives. And I still look on those days super proudly because we took so much sugar out of particularly the American diet that I'm not sure if I'll ever have that impact with my business today being a little startup Um, but net net we did a lot of very big things including our sugar goals at the time our fat goals which I kind of like to go back on now Um, but even within there we had some really good initiatives like shifting palm oil to more sustainable. It's it's just hard to describe the scale at which you can have impact in a Fortune 50 company.
0: They use lots of scientists, don't they, to get the right balance of yes. sugar and fat and
2: absolutely. And it's the science is extraordinarily good. It is it, it would be mind blowing to the average consumer, the amount of work that goes into it. and I've um actually the, one of the heads of science there is now an investor in my company and he himself has left and is a CEO of a plant-based company. So it, it's going to be interesting to see where all of us end up over time, but I think the tide is turning. And actually one point that is really important, I mentioned that we were shifting the portfolio because consumer tastes were changing. And I think all of us small companies, and I think every one of us makes a choice with what we eat. And that choice is what's going to drive what a big company invests in. Mm. So I feel super passionate about things like myself giving up meat earlier on and some of these choices really adding up to the bigger change, Um, you know, to 25 years. But the more of us change our behaviours, the faster this whole industry will change because they will listen to consumers.
0: Yeah. They will have to, to keep up.
2: Absolutely. To keep to keep sales up. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I'm a huge believer in these grassroots events. I think, for example, we spoke of Doug Reynolds and what he is doing. I think it's all about winning minds and hearts a person at a time and that's what's going to drive a big, big change ultimately. Mm.
1: But do you really think that, you know, the little guy on the street, you live in New York, walking into the bodega, pulls out a can of Pepsi and he picks up between Pepsi and Pepsi Max and he goes, yeah, I'm going to put the Pepsi back, the full sugar version, and continuing to go to the the low sugar or the no sugar options, that will ultimately drive the change?
2: I do. I really do. And that's actually a great example of how we've gone from full sugar variants to diet variants to better sweetener systems which is what max is as well as being caffeinated so i absolutely believe that um and i think one thing that's really important to get in there is i don't think it's the same answer for everyone one because you know our metabolisms are different i think we come from different places i think we come from different belief systems so whether you're not eating meat for um, religious reasons or whether you're not eating meat for humanitarian reasons or sustainability. Um, I think everyone's got their personal drivers, but yes, I absolutely believe that stuff adds up over time.
0: So you left Pepsi Cola. You went on your eat, pray, love (laughs) mission.
2: What led you to
0: starting up your own business?
2: It's... I kind of call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. It's It uh, wasn't intentional in some ways because I was applying for these, you know, big sensible corporate jobs too. But it really came out of a personal need because I wasn't eating meat. I was really struggling to eat and particularly to snack. Because if you've gone full on keto, it's really hard to get snacks that are either not refrigerated like cheese sticks or, um, or, or, uh, Beef jerkies, which are meat based, it's really challenging to get that stuff. And actually I should add one other constraint, which is I didn't want to eat fake stuff. So I don't love sugar alcohols or some of those alternatives that are in food. I was trying to eat pretty clean keto as opposed to dirty keto or lazy keto. And the only thing that I ended up snacking on is basically nuts and nut butters. And I just got so sick of eating endless amounts of nuts and sucking on those nut butter packets and having those gross things in my pocket. And I'm like, particularly coming from the food world, I'm like, there has to be a better way. So my snack bars, Kehoe's snack bars, they actually came out of something that I was making for myself. And it was my personal snack. And that's kind of where the whole thing grew from. And it wasn't like I was going to try and start a business it was it was how I lived and then every time you just get a little every step a little further I'd share them with friends and so on so that's really how it began um and as someone who's you know been pretty hard charging work-wise I'd always eaten a lot of snack bars and I would actually looked a lot at not making a snack bar but I decided it was so convenient so easy that I kind of stopped trying to futz around with what the coliform factor or the shape of it should be. But, yeah, um, that's kind of how it all started. And today, and just for context, I should say vast majority of snack bars, a huge amount of sugar, which, of course, the keto world knows. But what there's maybe less attention on today is a lot of them use animal products, very poor quality animal products. Mm -hmm. And, again, it clearly depends on what the product is, but they often have whey proteins. Honey, of course, is both of them. It's animal-based, and it's a uh, and it's a sugar. Um, but yeah, there are actually surprisingly few non-meat-containing snack bars. Eggs is the other one again, animal product, and not typically not a great animal product by the time you get it as a raw ingredient going into bars. So that was the genesis for me.
1: What sort of problems did you have with the manufacturer and the supply chain? Oh for your products
2: (laughs) oh what didn't I have oh my god um it took me three years of product development to get this done and this is from a person who likes to think she knew something about it oh my god where to begin everything from making a high fat product is hard because fats go off they get rancid or they turn brown over time you don't have to open an avocado. and Combination of ox- oxidation and these enzymatic processes. Making a high fat product shelf stable with high quality oils is like a challenge in and of itself. And the single biggest one that I saw is it's really hard to make a product hold together without sugar or without animal products. So, you know, I could have given you all the ingredients in a messy bag <laughs> a long time ago, but I was really trying to get away from this. Um, the nut butter situation. And again, I should recognize, yes, there are really well packaged ones that you can suck on and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, the making the thing hold together at commercial scale was incredibly challenging. And the amount of time as I was told to, you know, why don't you just <laughs> adding glycerin or adding something that is typically used on a production line to make things run easier Oh, I'd be be a rich person if I'd taken the advice of if only you would. The other thing I wanted to do is I didn't want to use any um, artificial flavors or colorings and natural or not. um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can, anytime you're drinking something that says, you know, natural flavors and other natural flavors, you don't know what you're drinking. You do not know what is in the other natural flavors. And as someone who comes from the industry, I'm like, hmm, I would prefer not to have that. So I use real spices in my uh, snack bars. And unfortunately, real spices are prone to things like mold, unless you make it really high up in the value chain or in the sourcing. Um, So yeah, that was a whole other challenge to go solve. So yeah, I think I made it as hard as possible for myself. I also use really premium ingredients like, Fancy macadamia nuts and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I think I made it as hard as possible for myself. But because <laughs> I was creating something for myself, um, I kind of stuck to it. Three years later, and a lot of savings.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's commendable, though, because it could be easy to be swayed.
2: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, and I hope, actually, that there will be other people who will enter the savoury bar market who are trying to make real food And I'm sure they will make a bar that's half the cost and compromises on some of these things and it'll probably be popular and it'll be helpful for people who need a product at that price point. But for me personally, I tried to be more clean keto and I didn't want to, I didn't want to go down those holes. I want to to build a food system where I don't source animal products that are poor quality or from poor sources. And I don't want to, build products that rely on stuff that is just used for processing to make processing easy as opposed to for human consumption and yeah, I made it as hard as possible. But then But you're that
1: but then yeah, the keto police would actually be going, Hey, this is actually really good. They wouldn't be pulling you up and saying, Hey Missy, this ain't this ain't keto.
2: Yeah, I've been honestly really lucky with some influencers who have taken the product, eaten it, posted about it. And that's one of the things I love about the keto community. You know, all the way starting with Gary, I was meeting this person you would never heard about to the influencers who get the product and post about it and support each other because we're kind of all building each other up. And I'm a big believer in the rising tide floats all boats. And we're still... Keto, even though it feels big to us and it feels fast growth, in the grand scheme of things, it's still tiny. And we have a lot of work to do to build that momentum to get the whole world to go low carbon keto.
0: Yeah. Yeah, still a long way to go.
1: But from your corporate experiences, what are some of the things that are blocking, I suppose, that momentum?
2: Ooh. So, a key one, obviously, is the dietary guidelines. If you're a corporation, you play by the existing rules and it's going to be hard for them to step outside anything outside the dietary guidelines, so that's huge. The other element is it's hard to innovate for a small segment of people. So for a big company, you need big markets. Um, So I think that's why it's going to take a while for us to build the momentum and then the big guys will hopefully get in. Um, But I think those are probably... And then clearly we need to win over a couple of high profile CEOs and get them to go keto. And then I think the world will be easier, but great. And I mean, Atkins is doing well. Quest Bar, in essence is a keto product, even though it doesn't push the keto world. So I think there's getting to be many successes that are going to drive a change. I'm kind of hoping that the next dietary guidelines in five years time, we're going to make some meaningful changes at that point. And we're actually working I think of doing a citizens' petition on some nutritional labelling, which clearly, is an industry insider, kind of have been part of all of those conversations. So we're also trying to do our little bit on um, on more of the regulatory side of ourselves too. Sure. So,
1: do you see this as a David and Goliath sort of battle?
2: Do I see this as a David and Goliath battle? Um, in some ways, yes, but maybe this is because I worked in the industry. I always think we can get more done if we collaborate versus we fight. So, you know, you need the whole spectrum of people from the the super ardent, super passionate who claim it is only carnival and carnival is the only way to go to the people who are like somewhere on a more moderate scale. You need the whole spectrum. But I do... I personally believe that the trick is working with industry and within industry to change things. And clearly that's due to my background and where I come from. Um, As much as it is a fight between David and Goliath, but you need all of us You need all of us. I need someone Mm. leading. I always say that when I made Kehoe, we're not bleeding edge biohacking. We're definitely leading edge. So we take all the science that's, and tried and trusted but we're not going to be the people who are you know testing bodies for different reactions and stuff so so tell us what's
0: what is in a kiho bar
2: so they are little mini meals massively nutrient dense which i should tell you why but there are four flavors there's curry in a hurry tex-mex moment pizza go- pizza to go and tie me over which is actually great considering sitting in Bangkok, um, they are all made like a meal. So there are premium nuts, super premium nuts, which bring some of the protein. And for example, macadamia brings some of the fat. They have freeze-dried vegetables. boom. Like, to my knowledge, no other bar products out there uses freeze-dried vegetables. And they have the great benefit of being massively nutrient-dense because you've taken out the water, but you retained almost all of the nutrients. You lose a bit of vitamin C, but you actually stop the oxidation process. And because you're not shipping water, they end up being massively sustainable because one of the meaningful drivers of food miles is shipping fresh veggies and the water with them. Same with meat. Meat is also majority water. So they're massively nutrient-dense because of those freeze-dried veggies. They have what I call salad-quality oils. So I use avocado oil, coconut oil, and extra virgin olive oil. See, no compromise, extra virgin olive oil. They have Mm. no bad veggie oils at all. And then they have those real spices. And I swapped the carbs for a a prebiotic soluble fiber, which is what actually holds it together. So prebiotic feeds the gut bugs, soluble, and then a fiber. So that's, it's kind of like a meal because it doesn't matter what cuisine you're in in the world, grossly generalizing how people eat, but you typically have a rice as a base or a pasta as a base or a, or a tortilla for a taco as a base. And then you add veggies and then you add a sauce or an oil mixed with spices. and That's what each of these are. I kind of deconstructed the most popular meals and put them back together as a a bar.
0: As a bar. And is it currently only available in America?
2: So we do ship globally. Um, We're in a couple of conversations also internationally, but we only ship globally. We do ship globally, but it is a little pricey unless you buy a lot
1: and then drive down that cost. Hmm. I'll have to check to see my favourite online Australian store um, that's a low-carb Emporium actually has has stocks of it. They may well do, so I'll
2: have to to double-check. Let me know, and if not, I'm going to go talk to them that they should.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Make a note for myself, check, low-carb Emporium. Yeah, Yeah, it's actually... It's actually really hard, obviously, being here in, in Thailand, uh, obviously being able to do that. But we do have access to iHerb. So um, as opposed to, you know, that's actually quite a big a big repository of, of being able to ship internationally as well. So,
2: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're a little bit funny because there have been savoury bars on the market before and others have tried, including some of the big companies. Um, they've never really taken off. And my theory is because they didn't have a lot of fat in them, so they didn't taste good. Because you take the carbs out, and they tend to be a little bland. So I actually think that keto is the thing that makes my bars taste particularly good. So I feel like I'm both making a great tasting product, irrespective of keto or not. And I'm adding in sneaky goodness for the world by getting people away from sugar and fat being the less that being there, sort of positive in them. So.
1: That's good. Sneaky goodness for the world. I do like that. So is that really, you know, in terms of your mission is to, as you said, you're, you're winning, winning the world over one bar at a time?
2: It is, and I need to update my math so I won't share the number here, but I was actually trying to work out what is the impact of if everyone or a subset of people switched one sweet bar a day to a savory snack bar and today the average bar has got like two and a half grams of sugar, two and a half teaspoons full of sugar in it that's like call it 15 to 20 grams that's almost your entire daily intake at least according to the guidelines it's about half in a single bar so i actually think if we could give, change people's snacking behavior which is the primary primary driver of sugar in diets the biggest drivers are sugary drinks, uh, snacks, desserts, and all the stuff that you like just chew on, not sitting down in a meal, that is the biggest source of sugars. So I actually think the, uh, the impact will be very, very meaningful. The company mission formally is to <laughs> obliterate obesity by spicing up life. And obliterate comes from ob, as in get rid of the Latin word, literate as in improved literacy, which is why we're doing some of these efforts around nutritional labeling and obesity, because that's what really led me to focus on building a business in this space. So our goal is to obliterate obesity and that said, one of our core beliefs is that it's not enough to be healthy. You gotta live. Like you can have a frigging amazing life being obese and have fun and all that. And hence we Took on this tagline of spicing up life because obviously we have these real spices and our products are savory, but also that we want to do it in a way that's fun and not policing what people eat. And genuinely, the product has to stand on its own two feet, keto or not. It's got to be delicious and fun and not preachy. And we're not trying to be a. Uh, a uh, preachy health medical product we're a we're a food, food brand that wants to have a ton of fun yeah. mm-hmm.
0: and having lots of fat like you said having lots of fat will make it really delicious
2: it makes it delicious it's satiating it actually is already full um they're, they're really unique actually and i really hope they take off <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's really interesting, obviously, because you're in the savoury sort of snack, you know, bit, but there are sort of savoury snacks that have quite a big proportion or attraction in the market when you think about Doritos as corn chips, your pretzels, your actual crisps or your chips, those sorts of things. So there is, you know, a significant portion of the market that is savoury as opposed to, as you said, you know, the sweet the sweet bars.
2: It's I'm really glad I said that. So the way I think about it is they're sweet and salty. And they're like two extremes, if you imagine a spectrum. And, you know, we've spoken a lot about sweet. At the other end is the salty, which is the barbecue chips. or in the UK, it's salt and vinegar and that, mm-hmm. those set of flavors. What we're doing is we're kind of in the middle by being savory. We're the real food. It's like real food. It's not sweet. It's not salty. It's not the stuff you eat before. It's not the stuff you eat after. We're in the middle. We are real food. And that's the new category we're really trying to go mm. and fill. Because okay. uh, clearly the challenge is, you know, the sweet stuff has sugar in it. But those salty categories, they're loaded with carbs. And I believe the innovation in those has gotten pretty stuck because it tends to be some form of substrate, like it's a potato chip or it's a veggie chip or it's a pea protein chip. But it's always a frigging chip <laughs> that is some sort of a plant clam- Based high carb carrier, and then you load it with these um, flavorings, artificial or natural, and then you add a ton of salt on top. And it's just weird to me that we want to snack on this constructive thing, as opposed to why don't we just snack on real food? Because by the way, your body doesn't know: like, am I snacking or am I eating? It's all ends up being food in your body. So, and it's I know, just by a way, day. I should also say that I think part of the reason I end up making these real food bars is I don't cook. I don't learn. I hate to cook. <laughs> so um, I say I compile. I compile. I don't cook. Um, I can make great salads. But, yeah, so um, I was really trying to make something that was a real food snack for myself, and that's where they came from.
0: So what what does your daily eating look like? Ooh.
2: Um, it's pretty basic in some ways so I tend to start the morning with eggs eggs are like my big staple Uh, my pasture-raised sustainably sourced eggs Uh, and coffee I love coffee I'm a complete coffee addict lunch tends to be a salad um, and I normally mix up a protein in there and use a lot of avocados like probably a lot of people on this call I use a lot of things like hemp seeds to bring up the fat content I buy Fabulous salad dressings. But yeah, it tends to be normally some sort of a salad. And then evenings is anything from a Beyond Burger with, in a lettuce wrap to a burger bowl to I uh, eat the Miracle Noodle, by the way, great company, Miracle Noodle, uh, Shirataki noodles, which I then add things like pesto to. So my meals are pretty simple. Um, and I order in a lot, actually, a lot of uh, Indian food, like curries, and a lot of Thai food, curries, and those um, those sustain me. And I never eat the rice, I skip the pastas, and so yeah, my day to day is pretty standard and simple, but well researched.
1: Which of the four bars is your favourite? <gasps> I know. Oh my I, know, okay. I, I don't want to. I don't want you to choose your favorite child, but I was curious <laughs> as to your flavor profile. I mean, you mentioned about eating, ordering in curries and Thai food. I'm just going, oh, I wonder which one of the four babies is her favorite.
2: So curry a no hurry was the first. So that is, it actually tends to do really well because it has high levels of coconut. So it's in some ways the sweetest. I call it aromatic because it's got really rich spices in it. That one started it all. So, you know, I have special feelings for that one. Um, The Tex-Mex, it's funny, I I think of it not as my favorite, but every picture I've taken on Instagram, I appear to be eating a Tex-Mex. So it's definitely like sneaking into into my food a lot. Um, The pizza to go is somewhat unusual in that it's very, it's all the really fancy gourmet pizza toppings like sun-dried tomato capers and olives and olives are clearly a polarizing food which by the way in my old world I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be launching an olive flavored product for Mm -hmm. the mass market because Mm -hmm. it is not that common but clearly it's a great source of fat and that is I literally took my favorite pizza toppings and I put them in a bar so that one is like um it hits my personal flavor profile. And Thai is, oh, dare I say, probably my least favorite because it has peanuts in it. And I'm not a big peanut eater. I do like it has like ginger and lemongrass and lots of really fancy fresh herbs and flavors. Um, and I added it because there's a lot of people who absolutely adore peanuts. So it is, it is hugely popular. Um, and one of our best sellers, I think, because of the peanut. But I'm not a peanut person. Oh, so that's really interesting
0: that you've called it Thai because in my head, Thai is really sweet. The food is very sweet. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I don't like Thai food very much because I like my savoury food savoury. Yeah, And only, I only want it sweet if it's
2: yeah
0: uh, sweet <laughs> or a dessert or a cake. And even then I don't eat that many desserts I'm more chocolate. Um, appeal to a bar of chocolate than to have a dessert so I don't like my savoury food being sweet hence I don't like Thai food.
2: The thing I love about Thai food is the fragrance of it and the richness of all the spices and the fact that in the same dish you have spicy and you have sweet and you have sour and like it's all these rich flavours and sometimes you eat it and you're like is it sweet? (laughs) is it savory i don't know but it's delicious and i love the creaminess of the sauces and actually that's what we tried to do by bringing coconut which gives it Mm -hmm. like Mm um wish you could see my hands (laughs) like rubbing my fingers together it gives it like creaminess in flavor Mm -hmm. and coconut for me has always been like an interesting animal or a vegetable which is um because it's sweet and it's savory the same thing sits across both spectrums and makes it super versatile for food production. Obviously, it's keto-friendly, so it's one of my favourite ingredients to actually include in some keto-based foods. Mm -hmm.
1: I can't wait to get Jackie here actually in Thailand to sort of, as you described, I mean, it's sweet, it's sour, it can be quite uh, bitter. There's some bitter, like if you have those little eggplants Mm -hmm. that pop in your mouth. Uh, yeah, it's actually all of those, those flavors in your mouth. And as you said, it's like this big explosion. So, Jackie, I think you might need to try either a Tom Carr or a Tom Yum. So, the different sort of flavors of the, the, the soups, right? Yeah. So, so
2: actually, the Kiho Thai bar was inspired by Tom Carr. And then I kind of added in, because they're like these mushes of my favorite cuisines. And then Pad Thai brought in like the peanuts. So, it's like this fusion. Fusion-y. By the way, I should also say I had really fancy chefs. Help me out with the final recipe. So you're not eating purely Tecla's favorite ingredients. But one of the favorite things about having your own business is, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can live the flavors that you want to eat yourself. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but yeah, I love Thai food. love, love.
1: So what's really good is I just walk out of my apartment and then obviously there's the open air markets and you know you can ha- as you said, it's that sort of aromatics and you're walking just literally down the street and you have this flavor explosions for you know in, in your face you know every day so it is it almost becomes a bit oh yeah, there's another you know meat on a stick <laughs> mystery meat on a stick oh yeah there's another like numprick on or another lap or another you know there's oh. lots of lots of stuff on the street so yeah. okay
2: now you've made me hunger for travel again i can't <gasps> oh, wait until no. we can you
0: have traveled i have you've traveled have <laughs> have went from new traveled. york to
2: miami <laughs> i have had a very- which
0: is more than we can do
2: yes i have a great
0: year <laughs>
1: So what's next for, what's next in the pipeline for development?
2: So we are looking at bringing out some new flavours this year. Um, I have to admit I just had COVID, so all flavour development is on hold until I can taste the product, taste the <laughs> smell, the products uh, well again. Mm. But, yes, the goal is to bring out some new flavours this year. We're getting some really great um, feedback and involvement and requests. So if anyone's got a request, email it in. Um, we're also starting to look at as the world opens, how do we get into retail? Because we're an on-the-go snack bar product. And you know, some people buy us to put their put in their fridges, to put into lunch packs and give to their kids when they want to have a healthy snack and obviously themselves, but we think our bigger opportunity to really change consumer behavior is not the one who's gonna come to the Keyho website and buy their bars for their cupboards. We wanna be where the people are. Um and we're trying to work out, you know, as the world opens, where do we want to be so that we can have the biggest possible impact and when, when, when is the right time to get out there. So, yeah, I think we're in a really exciting phase of development in that we were fortunate enough over the past year. We launched, by the way, two days um, before this thing was called a pandemic. Like, can't make this up, like the journey of an entrepreneur. Um, but we were really fortunate in that we took the time last year to really optimise the product based on consumer feedback, and we are now in a position to start really scaling up. We got all of the back end sorted, so fingers crossed um, we'll be coming to somewhere near you, whether online or in a shop. And you know, give us five to ten years, and we want to be everywhere. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that you would be in somewhere like a Whole Foods. I can—that would be the perfect place to to have to have that sort of thing. I hope they're
2: listening. I hope they heard that. <laughs> mm.
1: Well, as a flavour suggestion, I think that you need to think about your Australasian market and have a Vegemite one. Have that umami flavour. Oh,
2: I love Vegemites. I think see, that's
1: Jackie, that's see there's someone that actually likes umami flavours.
2: Love, 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 love. There's like a complexity to them and, yeah, I would love to actually. We're actually, one of the flavours we're thinking about is more like a Japanese flavoured one mm. with wasabi. Do you remember, I don't even have that you get these snack mixes that are wasabi flavoured. You like yeah. often in parties if you have like a yes. fancy chip alternative that flavour profile or we might think about leaning into the umami angle there of more the amino acid aminos as opposed to uh, soy sauce and it's a really rich food development and recipe ideation space yeah. huge.
1: It's a big flavour, like it's a really big flavour mm-hmm. which obviously, as you know, if you eat too much Vegemite then people go you know yeah. they sort of gag on it but just that slight umami has quite a rich a rich flavor
2: oh. i can't remember the last time i had it actually because the way i would eat Vegemite is spread really thin on toast Thinly. with butter yes um i don't think i've had toast with butter since who knows when so i'm not entirely sure how to eat Vegemite anymore so maybe it's in my bars <sighs> well yeah,
1: louise finds all different ways of to have it yeah this- Many different vehicles for your butter and your Vegemite. So even just a slice of cheese with butter and then that smear of Vegemite. But I should give a shout-out to if you do wish to have um, a bread – uh, Fox Hill Bakeries is actually really good for, um, you know, for a bread. So it's that um, that bread or unbuns, those sorts of things. There's, there's yep. lots of other keto breads on the market in the U.S., which I know Jackie and I feel really quite – we've got FOMO when we sort of see all these products being launched and it's just like – I've um,
2: tried probably all of them. So anytime I hear everyone I haven't tried, I have to go try it. One of the things I don't love about them is they tend to have ingredients I don't love, um, Being trying to keep it pretty clean. Um, yeah, I, um, if only I baked, I could like make my own sourdoughs and things that could be keto-friendly. But um, one day, one day I will find my keto bread that I adore. So suggestions, welcome, always.
0: So um, we often make a... What do you call it? A cracker mm-hmm. from the Real Meal Revolution. So we can put that link yes. in the show notes. It's really easy and mm. lovely with butter and Louise likes bit on it. Yeah. I have used a bit of marmite on it, but <laughs> yeah. I just prefer. I just yeah. like the butter.
1: Like and that's just seeds. That's just pumpkin seeds, um, sunflower seeds. It's flax as well as you like with the psyllium sesame seed, and um, yeah, it's actually a really delicious. Like cracker and i put it in an egg ring so egg ring size perfect for dipping like in um i know that yeah pate sort of thing so a, a roulette a roulette um so absolutely delicious with um with that uh, and you can put maybe some i think fennel goes really quite nicely with with the seed crackers
2: delicious i love love fennel. actually it's funny one of the last ingredients we added into the tile, like very the last final touch it's a touch of anise and it's just very similar to fennel it just lifts that flavor in a way that's amazing mm.
1: i know you're really keen to perhaps revolutionize the nutritional panel so before we get to that question tell us what the nutrition is of your bars and in terms of the nutrition panel the future what does that look like
2: great question um so we, we, and I mean by we, my name, I, the royal we, uh, decided that the keto bars should actually be keto, not just keto friendly. There's a lot of products that are keto friendly, but they're genuinely keto. So you could eat as many as you want without worrying about them. They do clock in at the typical less than five net carbs per bar because that tends to be what people look for. Um, that translates to less than 10% of net carbs on the label about 15% protein, which is all plant-based, and they're 75% fat, which is why the product development was so hard. But it is basically within keto macros already. And one of the things we chose to do is actually on the back of the panel, we tell you the percentage breakdown of the product, which I feel – pretty passionate about because the average consumer cannot work out from the nutritional label what they're really eating because the units are first in calories and then they tell you stuff in grams. How are you ever going to sit there and do the math as you're making a speed choice, multiplying fats by nine calories per gram and your carbs by four calories per gram, and like trying to do this mental math to keep everything in balance? and then obviously from the keto world the we believe there's sufficient evidence that says saturated fat should not be maligned on the label and the label actually breaks down into two different sections there's a section that's more about the facts the grams that are in the product and then there's the percent daily values there which come from the dietary guidelines i think there's an opportunity to touch on each of those sides um You could debate the percent daily values based on your belief system about food, but even on the label today, there's evidence that suggests the average consumer only reads three to five lines. So why do we still have things like trans fat, which I know are very bad for you, but almost all manufacturers taking it out so high up? Why are sugars so low down? And particularly here in the US, we just made the switch to break up total sugars and added sugars, which have... No difference once they get into your body or very limited difference because there's a little bit of a change based on the fiber amount, uh, typically from where you source it from. But those should be one thing. Why do you add this complexity around total sugars and added sugars? Um, I personally believe we should be providing consumers with net carbs or some simpler articulation of sugars, starches, fiber, as opposed to this super complicated subdivision that again requires the consumer to go do the math. Um, So yeah. And sodium to me is somewhat convoluted because everyone thinks sodium is salt. Sodium is not salt. Sodium is salt is actually 40% sodium. So Clearly, for the, that subset of people who care, it should be somewhere on the label, but maybe it shouldn't be so prominent. And maybe we should be talking about a unit that consumers can actually understand, because you know you're sprinkling grams <laughs> on your food, and then you're trying to do the math from the label. So there's a there's just a lot of inbuilt complexity, and there's a lot of evidence <laughs> that suggests that people aren't that um, people aren't really using it, partially because it is so complex and so impenetrable, and you know, I feel everyone should be free to make their own choices, but those choices should be informed. So we should make sure everyone gets those things down. And on the nutrition, on the percent daily value, the dietary guideline one, there's a lot of things I have an issue with. Um, Things like the, there is no percent daily value currently for total sugars. It's only for added sugars because of this split that happened. There's no percent daily value for protein. And by the way, even on protein, I think there's a, given the rise of plant-based products and just how hot they are, I think we should be having a conversation about protein quality, which clearly Mm -hmm. is a big Mm -hmm. conversation in the keto world. Um, And if a lot of people are going to go to a plant-based diet, they should really be aware of what are essential amino acids and which of those are muscle building. And we need to come up with some simple way of communicating it. And by the way, the way that today protein quality is measured actually requires animal testing so it'd be nice to come up with a way that wasn't regulatory um, a requirement that actually required animal testing the same way that the makeup industry moved away from animal testing so there's there's a lot of stuff underneath that really simple label that so many people see and I think it's wasted real estate um, as a brand marketer to provide such a shoddy summary of what's in a product and what impact it might have. In the
0: world. Do you think the labels are specifically created to confuse the average consumer rather than help them?
2: I don't think there's like anything malicious there. I don't think people are on purpose being confusing. Um, I do think there's a ton of history, and it's really hard to drive change fast um because there's you know so many of these labels are printed and people are used to looking at stuff a certain way and it costs money to get people to look at stuff differently um i think it's just like inertia i do think that the total sugar added sugar for me is probably the one example of where the traditional industry won over common sense um i'm not sure if it's malicious or whether it's just not particularly, not particularly well, I do know what the right word is even, but it's, I don't think it's malicious. I think it's just everyone's operating within the system that they were given, and it's going to take us, the consumers, to demand better alternatives. So maybe if we can pull this thing together, we'll actually get together a citizen's petition and submit some changes. And this is clearly like a five-year big project, but something we feel passionate about getting off the ground too. It's
1: interesting because the labels that we have in Australia with our food standards actually has the other column. So obviously it has a serve column and then it has the per 100-gram column. Now that column obviously has has those other elements listed, you know, protein, fats, um, net, net sh- obviously sugars, But it's the one hundred grams that gives you the standard reference which you can compare and contrast. I get so confused when I'm ever you know visiting the US that you know it's a per serve or per unit, it's you know there might be two serves and it's just so confusing and I think it makes it as you said, it's so hard for the consumer to make an informed choice when Mm -hmm. the analytics, the data that's presented mm-hmm. there you can't compare apples and oranges
2: correct i actually think did australia go to the traffic light system it's a colored label and simple on
1: yeah it did a star rating after the traffic lights as well so some of the the traffic light system was for lunches for schools in the program so you know like the sometimes food the you know mm-hmm. choose wisely food and and you know go for green but um yeah it had a star rating which is absolutely bollocks. It's absolutely terrible. Um,
2: <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that because like who eats a precisely two thousand calorie diet? Even if we could do that math on a thousand calories, it'd be easier to do the conversion. But the fact mm. that you have to like multiply or divide everything by two is nuts. Mm. Particularly like you can go on the FDA own site and it will show you that they've measured the amount that men need to be higher, and by the way, the amount that women need to be higher. And someone chose this arbitrary, random two thousand calories. It's hmm. super weird.
1: Hmm. You're,
2: are you so? Is there any sorry?
1: Good, is, there is, are you aware uh, of the
0: work of? sorry let me start again the network the nutrition coalition yes that's, what I was so, ask. that's that is exactly what yeah, I was going to ask
2: so yes actually very early on for me Nina Teicholz falls in the same had you allowed me to have more people <laughs> I already added two when I was asked for one so Nina Teicholz uh who obviously runs it is actually also one of the absolute pivotal humans who changed how I eat um I credit her slightly, yes, because she's much more focused on a meat-based um, eating. With the, she's obviously the person who read the big fat surprise. Um, but yes, the Nutrition Coalition is a phenomenal organization. I am a huge fan of their work, and I think if we manage to change, particularly the measure, the inclusion of sat fat on the label, it will probably be them who does it. Hmm. phenomenal work truly phenomenal work
0: i think they were hoping for a better response in the change in the guidelines last year that they didn't i don't think it came about did it no
2: and now i'm hoping that with the change in political leadership the next five years might be a better time to address it um Yeah. And I do think one of the challenges that until we get enough momentum from consumers and hence get the industry behind making these changes, it's going to be challenging because you're always pushing against. And by the way, the FDA is very unique among all government organizations in that a part of its operations is paid for by the industry. They have to, by law, consult with the industry before they change the law, which, by the way, just pause mm. for a moment how nuts that is. In no other country does the system exist. Um, and you, just to give an example, their, their own, to my understanding, their own committee has said that they wanted to reduce the percent daily sugar from 10% of calories to 6% of calories, which, by the way, wouldn't that be easy math? Um, it, didn't, <laughs> it didn't go through this year. So I think there is momentum within the group, and from a science basis, because that's the, the initial set of people basically reviewed the science, and the pushback is the industry. So we as consumers got to make the right choices and move the industry. Yeah,
0: vote with your feet.
2: Vote with your feet.
0: Or vote. vote with your mouth. <laughs> so before we come to our last couple of questions, tell people where they can find you.
2: We are online at www keho k-e-h-o dot life and just to make that easier to remember it's keto where the t is an h and then it's a dot life because it's a lifestyle it's not a company and we're actually looking to also bring on some of our recipes and some of the science thinking etc so it's keho dot life
0: great are you on social media where people can connect with you or not
2: we are on instagram again keto sorry keho dot life same place
0: excellent Looking back on your keto journey, what, if anything, would you change?
2: I think I'd probably be a little gentler on myself and my friends. I started off pretty militant um, because that's how I do things. I tend to do it the hard way. I think I'd like to think I'd have been a bit gentler on myself. I really wish I cooked. And I think at some point, somehow, I need to work out how to do a little bit more Cooking, because some of these, just everything gets easier uh, in terms of eating healthy. And maybe I'd probably also spent more time in the community. Took me I tend to be science and research focused, and I had to go on my own journey, going deep into the data and then pop out the other side. Um, I think I could have spent more time just getting out in the community and learning from people and just more of the real world experience of it as opposed to the science of it probably.
1: Mm. what would be your top three tips for people Ooh,
2: top three tips it's swap the carb for a salad probably the number one thing because you're gonna eat almost everything you like and just drop the pasta or the rice and switch in a salad to me that is like possibly the easiest thing um the second thing which is not so easy but probably the most powerful is just stop eating sugar. Like if you can't do the rest of it, just stop eating sugar or limit eating sugar. There are so many great alternatives out there. Too, and I recognize it's it's a drug that if I were to cut down on one single thing, it would be sugar, particularly processed sugar. And the other thing I believe is, be and again, this is my philosophy as opposed to other people's philosophy, I personally think we need to move away from a conversation that is carnivore versus vegan and talk much more about the nutritional composites, which is why I'm so passionate about the nutritional label. I think there's too much finger pointing around the source of the food as opposed to the food itself. And I recognize it makes a difference um, because But but it also doesn't because in the same way that there are highly processed carb-heavy vegan foods, there are highly processed, high-hormone meat products. And we've somehow lost the subtlety in a lot of these conversations. So I think it's – and maybe this is, like, also direct advice for myself, which is keep an open mind. Like, when I first had these conversations with keto, I was like, what? Oh, I know better. Everything in moderation. So maybe all of that last thing, I've kind of work, worked myself to, you know, have an open mind. So that
1: last one is more about the nutrient density. When you're talking about the composition, it's obviously about the nutrient of the food.
2: It is. So in the same way that it's a little bit, the protein is maybe the best example. Like, let's get smart about what are, what are the essential proteins versus non-essential proteins. Or so as a vegetarian vegan eater how do you food combine in the right way ensure you get the right proteins um to me that's a more meaningful conversation than saying hey you have to be carnival for example or let's engage in a conversation on leptins and nightshades and let's let's talk the nuance versus going one way is the right way and for some absolutely the one way is the right way and that's their way i think there's a little bit of acceptance that you can get to the same result more than one way definitely
0: and i think the key i was chatting with a vegan lady yesterday and you know we we had so much in common it's about real food yep. it's not eating fake food it's eating real nutritious food and that's what it all boils down to and it doesn't matter which angle you come at it from are you eating real food
2: nodding so vehemently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Tecla, thank you for being with us. It's been really fascinating to look at your journey and where you've taken your business.
2: Thank you. Super fabulous. Nice to hang with some fabulous ladies early here in Miami.
0: Lovely. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this
0: podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes especially if you're taking medication.